<laughs> Gaming and BS episode 317 being re- recorded Monday, November 2nd, 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. So how the hell are you, Sean? Doing fine? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I had the day off today, so I'm I'm fine. Oh, Jesus, man. What the, what'd you do all day? I got Friday off, too. What the hell? I know, oh, crazy. you've got vacation time to burn before the end of the year. That's I what I see. Uh, smart man. But anyways, yeah, everything's fine. I uh, played in Hobbs's... <laughs> Played in Hobbs's Low Fantasy Gaming Sunday. Did you die? I did not die. My other two uh, cohorts did, though. Oh, poor buggers. Yeah, we had a plan. We were going to, uh, we had to, uh, there were some folks we ambush. Uh, we found the person we were looking for, although they were dead. And then they took some prisoners or, you know, prisoners were taken off. And so, we, well, let's go rescue the, the prisoners. And we tr- tracked them down. And the scorn, the evil scorn, they know what it was like to be a scorn that day, I tell you. Okay, all right. And I had a plan, and the plan started, and uh, the plan was, like, for me, because what I think what happens with-, with So is, is it the fact that the plan did not survive first contact with the enemy? Has that it, what occurred? It would have. <laughs> it would have if those guys would have ran. So the plan was for um, me to go way off into one corner of the map and just start plucking guys off, right? Okay. Guess what happens? Just guess, yeah, Brett. Go ahead, guess. So it didn't happen. So my bow snapped. Oh, you broke your bow. I broke my bow. So the whole plan for me is to start picking people off at like 200 feet, right? Which you can't do because you no longer have a ranged weapon in your hand. Right. So I go, uh-oh. It's like in the movies. Shit. Okay. So I just start jumping up and down trying to get in their attention. Nice. Hey! Over hey, here. The, the plan is broken. And so they started coming towards me. Well, then those other guys were like going to go and get the prisoners. Well, they they got the attention of some of the scorn themselves, <laughs> and they, they freed the prisoners, and then they stayed and fought, and then they died. Oh, that sucks. So Hobbs is having to try to figure out how to get somebody to last more than one session. <laughs> and this is not even like Hobbs, like, I'll murder all you bastards. Yeah, no. just Like, just bad no. luck. Bad luck, death. Yeah. Oh, my. Any, did you get Skurs Estrada in again or no? I did not. That's scheduled for the 14th of November, uh, session three. And yeah. I have to do a little bit of prep, but it'll be fine. Got to do some more Undermountain when my buddy Alpha's uh, 5e descent into Undermountain games. That was fun. And then I ran Middle Earth for the kids. What was that? Last night, actually. We just did that last night. They, uh, they found a sneaky way in to the bad guy's lair, found the treasure room. Dug through, found a bunch of cool stuff. They found uh, two cursed shields. Oh, and, uh, how, how apropos. It was wonderful. <laughs> They're uh, shields that what happens is like the first edged weapon attack. This is straight out of the adventure. I'm running a pre-published adventure, by the way. Um, one of my favorite Middle Earth ones. So it's like the blade comes and hits them. The orc hits the shield. And they describe it as like the shield kind of leaps out and takes that first hit for you. You're like, oh, wow. Just glances off. That's awesome. So then I say, oh, by the way, roll, roll uh, percentiles. Oh, what do you mean? And Lana rolls. I say, you feel this horrible, like, ah, this, this like, um, growling, snarling feeling. You just feel really ferocious. She's like, huh, I'm an elf. That's odd. Well, their dwarven NBC is with him. I say, you know, let's roll for him because he's got the other shield. Well, he transforms into wolf because it's a, uh, it, that's what happens. So he turns into a ravenous wolf, attacks the orcs and lays waste to them. Like, oh, they didn't figure out exactly what it was until I described once more, AJ was paying very close attention, of the shield kind of leaping in front of the blade. 
And she's like, ah, it's a shield. It's a shield. Throw them down. Get rid of the shields. Get rid of the shields. <laughs> so they're like throwing shields around. It was a blast. It was fun. They figured it out. That was cool. But they're playing really smart. They um, they were using magic to bypass some tricky stuff. So they're playing pretty well. Doing well. They're uh, surviving. Where initially, like, Yolanda's character lost an eye and other people, you know, AJ almost died. But he uh, said, are you wearing a helmet? Why? I said, well, according to this critical chart, blow to side of head. If you don't have a helmet, you're dead. Otherwise, just knocked out for six hours. I'm only knocked out. <laughs> He's like, you t you gave me a helmet last night. I wrote it down right here. It says helmet. <laughs> so they're having fun. It was a good time. And uh, my second session of my Return to Greyhawk first edition AD&D game is tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Should have uh, Lenny should be back uh, in for this one. So I don't know what character he's bringing in yet, but I got two thieves. I got a human thief, a gnome thief, and a human cleric. So pretty interesting so far. We'll see what happens. Um, let's see announcements. There's this game hole con thing going on, virtual game hole con. That's like soon, now ish. <laughs> right as quick. this drops it's probably <laughs> actually happening exactly that's what so. i'm saying so that's that that's out there evercon uh for those i've mentioned it in other places but they're going to go virtual as well the, um it's just the, the con is in january and based on um pandemic results and how things are going probably not a good idea to try to hold it in person by january a little too soon so we shall see we shall see D and D. I, before this work, I was kind of hunting down some die rolls and I saw that D&D posted on Twitter about their, their online events. That's the, the new thing, like the D&D days or something like that. And it's the November 13th to the 14th. Uh, I went to the website. Unless I'm doing something wrong and it's really early stages there isn't a whole lot of events out there for that. I mean, that literally was Madison. I put in Madison, like not, no searches found, right? No, 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 nothing found. And then I think by not putting in a search, there was something in Ohio. That was it. Interesting. Huh. I'll so, see what happens. I thought that was kind of interesting. Anything else announcements wise? No, no, not okay. that I can think of. All right. Should we, shall we? Let's move on. Random encounter. There you go. Random encounter. <laughs> Emails, voicemails, comments from social media. I've got a uh, voicemail starting out with from Chris Shorb. Sweet. Lay it on us, man. All right. Brett, Sean, it's Chris Shorb. How you guys doing? I uh, wanted to call in your most recent episode about... Um, GMs and uh, uh, Game Master is not a player. And, you know, I uh, finished listening to it. I've actually listened to a couple other podcasts in between. So uh, I, the one thing that stood out to me is that I, um, my goal now, like one of the things that you said is that the GM has to prep, and I used to prep a lot. And I actually still am prepping for a lot of the um, games that I'm running. But... I love games where I don't have to prep anything, where I can just pick up and just show up and play and, and GM. Um, I think that some games don't benefit from that, but I think that there are games that do where you can do that. Um, and so that's one of my new goals. 
for some of the games that I run. There's some games where I like to get into the creative part of world building and all that happy hoo-ha, but uh, I do also like to just show up and play. All right, that's it, mate. Have a good one. Bye. All right, Chris. I got a beef with your voicemail. Uh-oh. What's the beef with the voicemail? You can't you can't call in and say I'm I'm playing these games that don't require game mastering and, and then, then not, not say mention what games the games they are. are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what the hell are you doing, Chris? What are you playing, man? Lay it on us. Right. No, I think um from the preparation perspective, yeah, there are if you have a game that requires less prep from a game master perspective, the idea of you being a player probably feels better, seems be- better, seems more realistic and more possible because some of that workload isn't traditionally la- labeled or ladled, excuse me, placed upon, placed upon you. That's what I'm talking about. So <clears throat> in your traditional game where that, hey, you got to prep, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do. If there's something you can show up and quote unquote, just play as Chris is talking about. Yeah, I could definitely see well that would change the tone and the feeling for the game master. So, huh, cool. That's a good perspective, Chris. I like that. I mean, that's one way to get around the uh, not big on prep. Yeah, totally. Feeling. Just don't play games that require it. Yeah, we've talked about that before. You know, if you like low preparation type games, you know, hunt those down. There's plenty of games out there that require little little to none. So, cool. Hunt them down. Hunt hunt them them down. What? Hunt them down. See, Brett, now you have to see how many times you can interject a hunting term in oh, your yes. comments. Okay. I'll, I'll see what I it's can It's hunting do. season. That should be a game it's for been, Brett. It's been hunting season for a while, but yes. It has been. It has well, been. Well, November is like the big one, right? November is indeed the big one, yes. Yeah. Yes. In Wisconsin, anyway. Yeah. Well, um, pretty much everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Last year out west, um, Elk was September, but anyway, moving on. Yeah. Carry on. Voicemail from DM Kojo. Brett and Sean, DM Kojo, calling about losing in RPGs. There's no losing in RPGs. You play, you have some fun, and then even if your character dies, at least you had some fun, and there you go. You know, that's when you come up with a preconceived notion of I must do X in order to have fun, I think that is the nature of the problem. I mean, if somebody's gone through a whole campaign and had no fun whatsoever, then okay, maybe they lost, uh, you know, in the RPG. But then you got to figure out how can you go through a whole campaign without having some fun? Maybe a session here or there, I get it. But uh, if you're rolling bad or something bad happens or your PC dies, you got to make a new one. But to me, at least, um, you know, there is no losing as long as you're having some level of fun. Um and I try to, at least with my, you know, my gaming groups uh, and, uh, you know, my own kids, uh, I try to set up front the expectation that, uh, you know, characters are going to die at some point. And so you shouldn't define winning and losing as, um, you know, character survival, that that's not uh, necessarily the point of the game, that the characters are part of a bigger story that is being woven in the campaign and you, you know, some characters die in stories. Some characters die in movies. Some characters die. That's okay. Uh, so I've raised my kids with that mindset. And so when the character dies, 
you know, there's momentary sadness and then let's make a new one, let's continue the story, and let's keep having fun, and therefore there is no losing. That's just my take on losing in RPGs, but uh, it was a good discussion and uh, look forward to your next one. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Kojo. That was cool. So the stipulation is mm-hmm. as long as you're having fun, you're not losing. You're not losing. So when Sean gets all pissy and moany about not having any fun, you're lo- you've lost, Sean. I've lost the game. Which is actually when um, my <laughs> friends give me shit when I play uh, poker with them. Because I, I'm a terrible poker player. I am abysmal at poker. But I'm like, ah, we're going to play just to have fun. I don't have a betting strategy. I just play to have fun. Like, oh, let's see what happens if I do this. Oh, look at that. Note to self, BSers, if you want some, if you want to play some poker. You want to play poker with Brett, just ask me what the buy-in is. I'll give you all 20 bucks. (laughs) And you just split it up amongst yourselves and keep going. It's faster and easier for all involved because I'll just drive you batty. But I play board games that way. Huh, look at that. I lost. Woo. It was still fun. Don't care. You know. And I like the other piece that Coach Adventures, though, is he sets the expectation to front. Like, look, don't view character death in this game as you've lost. This isn't a losing proposition. The story will continue. That's clear. He's making like, hey, this is how this works. This is the game I'm running. You cool with that? Off you go. But he's got a very good point, though. I mean, if you're having fun and, ah, crap, you know, Ragnar the Mighty died. Oh, well, whatever. You know. Did you have fun? Yes. Cool. That's that's That can be very important. Sometimes it, it could seem like, you know, a poor consolation prize when you had this big thing you wanted Ragnar the Mighty to accomplish at some point. But, you know, if that was the expectation going in, you know, just, I, I, I don't know. There's something cool about it. It's very, it's very flat to the point, streamlined. Like, hey, did you have fun? Was, there, was it a good ride? Yeah, cool, man. Move on. I like that, Kojo. I like that. I think while I can understand... Mm-hmm. DM Kojo's kind of philosophy. I find it something similar to alignment in that you could piss <laughs> and uh, moan and argue around that fun and not losing in RPGs until you're blue in the face. You can. What's fun for one person is not fun for the next. That's what you're saying, right? Well, I think that one could say like, hey, if my character dies, I've lost. Yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't I don't think losing is this uh I don't think we have to take an RPG and say it's a role playing game. You don't win or lose. That's the cool thing about it. It's different than Monopoly and Parcheesi. Yeah. You know? Yes, it's different, but it's coveted, right? It's like, oh, that's the cool thing, man. You don't really win or lose. Like, you play a character, yes. and it might die, but it's the story, and it's cool, and as long as you're having fun. And I'm like, eh, maybe, sure. But I think I could also argue, like, no. If my, if when I was 10 years old and my mom said, hey, she would say, right, did you win or lose? Like, did you play D&D? Did you win or lose? Because it's a game, right? You know? Yeah, character mom, died. That's the, mom, that's the mom thing, right? Yeah, your character hey, you died. Oh, you lost. Yeah. 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 Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear you know hear that. Only really lost. Eh. Well, you know, I we talked about it on the show. It was, it's been it's a while back, but I think it, it's um yeah, there's it's different perspectives, and I think the interesting thing, well, the coolest parts about this hobby, is the different perspectives. And I think when Coach is saying, "Hey, look, I'm setting expectations. That's what this is." There's really hate to say it, almost no right or wrong answer with that. It's like, look, if this is 
you groove on that and that's your thing, man. Kojo's game is right up your alley. That's perfect. Other people are like, oh, yeah, but that's not fun for me. You're not going to have fun in that game. You know, Kojo and I have talked about this at cons. He's talked about it here on the show. You and I have talked about it, too. We can have a really good time doing X, and somebody else out there is like, yeah, I hate that game. Why? I don't know. It's just not fun for me. It almost need, yeah, we can, you can get into a why, a deep discussion and introspection and so forth. And sometimes it's, it's as simple as, I just don't like it. All right, cool. Go play something else. Like the mind. Well, that's just dumb. <laughs> that's, there's, there's, there's a line to be drawn and that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. That, <laughs> I, 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 that's a game that would get you shot. Oh yeah. God, that game. God Chris and his never mind moving on at the same time I also think there is winning I think there's winning in RPGs like hey oh yeah I mean if you you, if you go through and you stop Tiamat from taking over the world you stop them from summoning Orcus you stop the Empire from blowing up planets I I think you won yeah yeah right I mean there's like objectives you can actually like as a character in the game win yeah, good did triumph over evil. And if good fails to triumph over evil and Cthulhu rises and, you know, destroys the earth, huh, I, I would say you lost. <laughs> I'd say you lost that one, kids. But interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, a DM Kojo. You know me, man. Just poke, poke. No, that's good. poke, poke. No, it's good. I, I, I think the different perspectives is really important because we've said this before many times is that there's different play styles and different games out there enough in this wonderful age of gaming where that you can find something that's for you the right mix of winning and losing however you want to define it there is a game out there and if not a game is a playing style of whatever your favorite game is that totally will fit for you and it's a matter of finding the right people to play with sometimes so good stuff man all right you read the next one you read stefan dragon spawn nice one of my favorites from canada he's awesome a few ideas came to me as I listened. Uh, I can't remember what this one, what he was referencing. I think was, this, this is Cursed Items. I can tell cursed the, the, context, items. the context yeah. from the product here. Keep going. Uh, when you mentioned the common minus two sword that you cannot get rid of, to me, this does sound rather boring on, and uninspired. When I was young and new to the hobby, I never gave it much thought, nor did I add these kinds of items and treasure hoards as I found them more of a hassle and gave a reason for players to bitch. Or rather, another reason for some players. <laughs> as I acquired more XP and leveled up as a gamer, I asked myself, why would a mage go to the trouble of creating a minus two sword or a backbiter spear? It, that's a fair question. We've, you know, it, it costs you tens of thousands of gold pieces and time and money and perhaps a bit of your magic user soul to dump into that and... I made a cursed weapon. Why did you do that exactly? Yeah, carry on. A few ideas came to me as I listened. When you mentioned, oh, I'm sorry. I, oh, yeah. Uh, no, no. I like, always, uh, prefer, I always, I always <laughs> there we go. scrolled and then I lost my place. Lost a paragraph there, buddy. Yeah. I always preferred thinking that many such cursed items came from a failure to craft a beneficial item. Not all, but many of them may originate that way. If they are intentionally crafted, it may be by gods or otherworldly beings for reasons known only to them. No matter the way they came into being, I believe all magical items should have some history or interesting origin, even if it's only a plus one dagger. 
And as you mentioned, one way to make them more interesting is for the item to grant a benefit that does that still does still make it worthwhile to own. Quote, sure, this sword is minus two, but it's still a magical blade and counts when fighting incorporeal th- beings, werewolves, etc. Which is interesting because I thought, I don't know if it was him or somebody else that brought it up like, hey, cursed item, minus two, or you did it, Brett, on that episode, right? Could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Minus two item, it's still magical. Still magic, yep. It's the only thing that can hit. (laughs) Yeah, got to use it. It's a magical weapon. It doesn't say plus one or better, just says needs magic. Whack, 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 whack. You're doing Uh, piss poor damage better than you, sir. You've got nothing. (laughs) Whack, whack, whack. Yeah. Uh, let's see where did I leave off here. Uh, one idea I had while listening, uh, was to make all magical items have a curse or a drawback as part of the rule of magic. All power comes at a cost and you can't get something for nothing. A plus two sword that makes the wielded, uh, more susceptible to insults and wants to duel anyone they think just slighted them, for example. Another thought is that a cursed item such as our infamous minus two sword in a D20 system becomes less of a true curse and more of a minor inconvenience at higher levels. Even if the fighter never gets rid of the blade, by the time he's level 10 plus, a minus two is no longer as great a penalty as when he was second level. But if the sword reduces the total to hit and damage bonus by half, then the curse is more important and impactful despite the fighter's level. Uh, So being able to scale the curse, modify it, or tailor it to the character can be a great way for it to have impact on the game and the story. In a system without levels, a minus two may still be a hindrance no matter the XP gained by the character. In an example for a narrative dice system, such as Genesis or Star Wars, an item that always upgrades the skill check to a red die can be just as devastating to a new PC as to one with over 150 earned XP. If that red die comes up with a despair symbol, then the GM has license to interject all kinds of complications into the storyline. I'm also curious about this Albert Rodeo VTT as I'm always on the lookout for a simple way to game online if possible. Thank you for the shout out for this and thank you to those who come up with it. As always, uh, keep up the good work, stay safe and healthy. Thank you, Stefan. I like the idea that you have in here about the, because uh, we've talked about scaling magic items before. Um, I cannot remember the listener brought up Earthdawn as I built into it. I remember that piece. And if you take curses and ratchet them a bit, you know, you can even look to Lord of the Rings. Like the one ring seemed to get worse and worse and worse, ratcheted up like the, the badness as the story goes on, it seems to. Um, but yeah, I like that. And the idea of the story behind it, why is this a minus two weapon? Why would anyone take the time to do it, right? It's as simple as this is a curse that the warlock who made the blade bequeathed it to somebody who goes, hee hee hee, this will get him, you know, and curses him, curses blade, something along those lines. But that kind of backstory is cool because that backstory then, if I provide such a backstory for a cursed item, my players are going to go, huh, I wonder if I could undo this curse by figuring out how it got here, like they're going to try to unwind it, unravel that curse in some way that they could go at it. So it's a minus two now. It used to be a Holy Avenger. This used to be a sort of sharpness. This used to be a great weapon, but it was cursed. Can you unravel the curse and unlock its full potential? That's another cool piece you can do with curses. So Plus like five, that. Holy Avenger belonging to a paladin a fallen paladin and it becomes a minus two blade and the way to remove the curse 
is to bestow the honor of the fallen paladin spirit or be find the spirit however that's defined and you change it oh it's great brett fantastic i like it it's a good idea that shit down spitting diamonds over here somebody write this down give me a pen give me a pen all right thank you Stefan. that was good all right so forrest emails us on the past episode a past episode he's listening to an old episode where you talked about material components oh my god that's way back i know you guys have discussed a few times before especially the high pita pain in the ass factor of keeping track of them. Brett mentioned reading an old dragon article as a kid that suggested spellcasters get a bonus on fire-based spells for using red dragon blood as a spell component or something like that. That's what I do in my campaigns uh, and what my current DM does in the campaign I'm playing, a AD&D 2nd Edition. It's cool to be able to boost spells occasionally and it gives our party member with the anatomy and zoology non-weapon proficiencies the ability to shine from time to time when dismembering and dissecting defeated opponents. Some cool things that have come from this. Body parts of a hell clam, a creature that basically acts as a portal to a gate in demons to enhance summoning spells. Central gland from a floating brain creature we defeated that allows one casting of a divination spell at 2x the caster's level after eating it. That sounds vile. But I know most casters would do it. A pair of eyeballs from a particularly horrific creature that gives opponents a minus 4 to fear-based spell saves when the caster uses them. The DM hasn't said how these are to be used exactly, but I would think that eating the eyeballs in front of the opponent while casting the spell should do the trick. Anyway, lots of cool options to give temporary boost to spellcasters, at least. If you want to allow the smorgasbord of available options to go to other classes, you can do things like drink this demon icor for plus 300 next acid save, but drop your charisma by one point until the effect takes place. You could think of 100 ways to leverage other sorts of things. These would work especially great in a low magic game where you don't want to just go about having strange women lying in ponds distributing swords, which is also no basis for a system of government. The monster manual is your oyster, so to speak. The best forest. I love that that idea, forest. This almost goes to the um, our uh, the topic we had around um, folklore creatures and so on. This idea that if you you know if you have the the you know. The skull cap from a witch who, you know, or you've got a rope that was made from the hair of a crucified noble at dawn. You know, th- this kind of how you can enhance something, sometimes one shot magic item like that is pretty damn cool. And uh, it could take some from a creativity perspective. It's pretty neat. And sometimes if you you give the first one, the players kill the cockatrice. They figure out they do. And you tell them, oh. Your alchemist character knows if he does X, Y, or Z. The next time they kill something else, the fighter looks at that and goes, so uh, if I eat its eyes, what would that give me? And uh, she looks at you, look at her, and go, I don't know. See what it does. The fighter nah, 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 noshes down in some eyeballs and, hey, lo and behold, does nothing or gives her something. So that's kind of cool. You can take a, take a cue from the players in that case if you don't come up with everything on the spot. But I like that. That's kind of cool. Very good. I like that. Thank you, Forrest. That was good. That's a good reminder. Because it doesn't have to be all the time, all the time. Right? It doesn't have to be everything that seems fire-based gives you a magical boost. But neat. I like it. Thank you. Sean, what do you think about that? Is that good stuff? Yeah. That's good stuff, Yeah, it's good stuff. It is good stuff. You want me to read this next one, or do you want to read it? No, you got to read it. (laughs) You got to read it. (laughs) This is directed at you. Okay. All right. Here we go. Some guy named Joe comments on our forums under the role of the GM. 
<sighs> Here we go. How dare you call out one of your players, unless it's Jeff, on your show. I log on to listen to my favorite podcast, and I'm insulted right off the bat. Disgusting. I hereby call for a boycott of the Gaming and BS podcast and will no, no longer play with the likes of Sean. Brett, are you looking for an online Zoom player? You know what, Joe? I'll just tell you right now that uh, if things really do get that bad, uh, you're welcome on my table. I got you. I got you covered. I'll get your gaming fixed with me. Don't worry, buddy. I got you. Nah, just fucking with you. But you get a <laughs> minus one inspiration. This is Joe, the guy who forgot his dad's, his dad's name, name <laughs> That's okay, in kid. my Curse of Strahd game. <laughs> in my defense, I put my character together a couple months ago while we were... So this is the other side of the story, ladies and gentlemen. No, this is right? fine. Because you is only good. hear from Sean, so here's Joe defending himself. As well I'm he sh should. Right, of course. I read this earlier, and I am shocked, Sean, that you failed to take this into account. Carry on. In my defense, I put my character together a couple months ago while we were still running Mothership. Although I included quite a few details, my primary purpose was to develop a background that would fit the criteria set by the DM. Plus, I don't even recall what I did last week, so... <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. He's living in Hawaii just kicking it. Like, I don't know. That's why he doesn't remember what he did last week. Apparently. <laughs> Carry on. And I could fix this. Christian is as common as Jeff, John, or Joe and Sire. Nathaniel's father disappeared in 984 YK, and the suspected location of his disappearance wasn't remotely close to where we were traveling. I'm still waiting for this. Like, okay, yeah. Nathaniel still doesn't even know where he is or how he got here. Why would he automatically assume that the Christian that was mentioned was his long dead father? If he knew that he was in a demiplane that can show up whenever, whenever, eh. That, that makes a bit of sense. Oh, he's, so, he's so stretching. He's, he's stretching so, a bit, but I, I mean, yeah, but I reaching. like, he is a bit, but it's a good, it's a good, it's a good way to take a little bit of meta, change it into why his character is like, what, that, what? Whatever. So some dude had the, my dad's name. 15 people in the town I grew up in had my dad's name. Come on. All right. Carry on. Carry on. So the 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 the, the minute that it makes sense is where he says the name Christian from his home country is the same as calling people John, Joe, or Jane, or whatever. Yeah, it's super common. Oh, bravo, Joe. Bravo. <laughs> Keep Nathaniel going. will continue to refute the knowledge of a Christian, even when he begins to suspect that his father is the person in question. He will be in a state of denial. No, that's impossible. My father's dead. What kind of game are you playing? Keep rolling out the episodes. I'll keep listening. I like that last bit where he's um, he wants to refute the knowledge. Like no, 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 no. I get that. As a kid, you're like my dad's dead. Somebody looks like me or similar to me in this weird-ass place, fine. I get that. He has a name that's similar to 50 other dudes I grew up around. Fine. It doesn't mean he's my dad. And if he believes his father's dead, like dead as Dillinger, six feet under, yeah, I could see him sticking to his guns. I could see him sticking to his guns. Now, the, the interesting part will be when he flips and goes, I now have evidence, right? He gets a note. He gets something written. 
or a piece of evidence. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Sean. It's something that's irrefutable. He has to acknowledge the fact that this could well be. That's interesting. I like that. See, now he's changing the story, though. He says, no, that's impossible. My father is dead. No, he was missing. If you're writing him off as dead, that's a different story. Uh, well, you, yeah, and, Joe, see, you so and Joe got some talking to do. Sounds like Joe needs to get his proverbial shit together is what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, based on what Joe said earlier, he doesn't remember what he did last week, so he won't even remember writing this. You can hold him <laughs> to the fire on the next game session. You got it. Awesome, that's, Joe. That's true. That was good, Joe. Thank you, man. I appreciate you writing in. Joe, Joe, good stuff. Yeah, my All right. Joe Boo. All right, let's uh, let's get into the main topic, shall we? All right. All right, Brett. So Tom and Chris Shore brought this up in the forums. And uh, talk about GM screens. We've hashed this over a bit ages ago, somewhere over the last six years we've gone over this. But an interesting, the reason I thought, huh, this bears bringing back up is because, um, I'm calling it the age of online gaming. It's not like this shit hasn't been going on. We've been online gaming for quite some time. Um, even before COVID, people were doing plenty of it and so forth. But we often talk about GM screens and their use at the table, right? Directly in front of you, players, you roll in front of the screen, so on and so forth, blah, blah, blah. So, Sean, when you are GMing remotely, as we a lot of us are doing more often now, because of the, are you using a GM screen at all at, at your table in front of you? you? You're holding one up. Is that to tell me that you're using one when you're running uh, online? I'm not. I haven't. I've thought I've had I've had them sitting within arm's reach, specifically to kind of reach over and just open it to check on a, a particular condition, but it's actually faster to just tab a browser and put in whatever I'm looking for. So for me, tabbing a browser is slower for me. At, at the computer as you're sitting yeah, there? as I'm sitting there running the game. How do you, how do you, it depends on how you have your screen set up, I think. Yeah, it also depends on the screen. That's kind of what I want to get into here. When I'm looking at it, so the Pathfinder, the first edition Pathfinder screen, I love that one. There's a lot of really juicy critical rulesy bits in it like hey this is actions you can take so on and so forth it's got a lot of good reference material for me i really like it so when i was running my avalon game with my group and they wanted to use pathfinder system i had that on the table right next to my computer so i could just quick look over oh this is the this this is you know i could just reference it really fast super fun i liked it um when now that i'm running an AD&D game there's hit charts Saving throw matrices, you know, there's cross-reference. You have an 18, they have a 2, it's a, you know. I have my first edition GM screens. I have them in front of me, laying flat on the table on my computer desk. So when someone says, hey, did I hit or what's the saving throw? I can tell them what the number is, you know. So I have found that quick, re being able to reference certain things that I need quickly without having to search for it or remember it becomes very helpful. And uh, I mean, I'm telling the characters what they, they have their own little hit matrix on their character sheet on roll 20. They write, you know, negative to positive. They put their little numbers across the, across the armor class chart. But I still want to know for all the monsters. And it's easier to say, oh, it attacks as a six hit die creature, six hit die over here. And I can just range it and go. So... Those screens for me uh, have the days of cross-referencing yeah. the tables. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. It's, I'm having a good time with it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just want to yell, Battleship! <laughs> you shake my battleship. But um, what I'm getting at is both of those screens for me have a lot of really good info in them. The screens I did not build myself. And um, the other one that I'm using a screen for in person is with my kids, my Middle Earth role-playing one. That screen, it's Role Master, so it's Chart Master. Plenty of charts and features and functions. Has the has the um, all the stuff you need for like tracking, observation, da 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 over here, and this skill and this thing. And then it has these little cool slick handouts for all the critical charts I need as well, and resistance charts. So I can flip over that stuff really fast, much faster than flipping through the book and trying to find it. When I'm also using that same book to reference monster hits and so on and so forth. So, I have found that online or in person, I don't really change my use of the screen. 5e, when I run 5e, I actually keep my 5e screen handy because it's it has the conditions in it, and I always forget what the fuck the conditions get do. You're poisoned, you're paralyzed, you're down. What is it? What what is it? An automatic uh, critical if it hits you? Is it that just nothing? I lock in my brain, so having that down in front of me is super handy. I agree. The conditions are. He, probably a big one like figure okay poison what does that do but i do get that if you're online and it's faster for you to just tab open a browser like hey i want that tab open it just says conditions Blink, look it up there you go i get that that totally makes sense do you um so you don't use a screen at all when you're running online i haven't used i haven't because i haven't uh i haven't needed to um it just is a I have Foundry on one screen. Mm. I have Zoom open, but I don't care. I care, but I don't have to see my players. I don't. I don't have to see them. Right? Oh, right. So I can just put Zoom anywhere in the background because I'm looking at everything else. I don't. I know where the camera is. Like if I'm addressing them, I could go like this, and they think I'm talking to them, and I'm looking at them. But so you, know, you I, have a. You and I both have a fair amount. Fair amount of monitor real estate yeah i've got two i think these are both 23 and i've got a 43 and i've got a 43 inch monitor yeah yeah so i have a shit ton of real estate so i can have multiple things open like i do right now and it doesn't make it so that my desktop is unusable you i got tell me to uh remind me to talk to you about a tool because you're running a mac right yeah you are probably not using a windows snap tool are you no Oh, dude, I will let you know of an app you should buy because we do. I do it for the podcast. So you can set kind of like Windows, right? You have mm -hmm. hotspots on your monitor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it is invaluable. So because you just like take something, drag it up to the right corner, and it, it snaps right into it. a oh, corner. Oh, nice, nice. Okay. Yes. And you need that. Like right for now for the podcast, I have a Google Doc open. Right next to that, I have OBS open, and then on another monitor, I have the chat open, and then I have another recording Because software. you've got those little lock-in. So basically what you've and they done lock in place. is yeah. your monitor with that is you're able to build your own GM screen on your monitor that way, right? So I could have a tab open over here in a browser that is, you know, hit charts. I could have this one and this one and this one. Very cool. The reason I brought up the, the monitor real estate is Sean and I have plenty of monitor real estate. Not everybody does. I know a number of different people that run games on a laptop on a 13-inch laptop. And there's a lot of shit, right, that you could have up. And if you want to see your players, because you care about them more than Sean does, um, or if you um, 
if you need your you want a certain screen larger for the die roller so you can see what's going on or chat windows and so on that real estate in your electronic online game can get very overwhelming you know tons of windows stacked on top of each other and um i've seen people get lost hang on let me find oh yeah even players you know <clears throat> having a bunch of stuff open okay do this oh shit hey let me ah fuck i closed my character sheet let me reopen the character sheet let me do it it happens so i think that the gm screen if it's a good one and when i say good one is that it has the tools the um uh the tables the charts the information that you need that are valuable for you to assist you in running the game depending on the amount of real estate you have on your screen or even the bandwidth because depending where you are what you're trying to run if you're running audiovisual on zoom and it's all theater to the mind depending what you've got going not everybody's computer or their home bandwidth their internet connection can handle a ton of different shit all happening at once right so, Sean, if you had a really shitty internet connection running OBS, trying to run Twitch, trying to do, trying to do, trying to do, could be burdensome. And if you're trying to stream games and do lots of stuff, again, it just it can bog down the machine is where I'm getting. So I think that the GM screen, for me, once I started using it again in my online games, I found it very helpful. And it freed up some real estate, even though I have plenty of it, because I want to keep notes. So as things are going, and I'm making up NPC names, I type in, you know, Nathaniel, you know, Baldwin, blah, 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 whatever. Bam, 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 bam. I'm writing this stuff down, a couple quick notes so I can post stuff up. And I want to be able to have that. Or if I'm quickly finding images from an image file I've sorted so I can grab them and put them places, it'd be a very util. My, my computer desktop becomes very utilitarian, just helping me run the game, throwing stuff at the characters electronically. Um, and the books can get cluttered on my desk if I'm flipping and looking for charts. But that wonderful first edition Pathfinder screen really just saved my bacon from a lot of data right there available to me. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it, it, so, it yeah. So there's going to be a few things at play that you've already touched on, which is going to be how do you have your, how do you have your, how, how big a desk workspace do you have if you're playing remote? How much crap do you have? Like, do you, do you you reference so you're playing old school so you probably got some old school module stuff that's sitting on your desk yeah i have um well at this point like a first edition monster manual actually i have pdfs of the dmg and php because when i'm when the character's like hey what's this i can share my screen and show them pages directly out of the book like this is what the rule says this is what this is this is how this functions so in front of me sheet of paper because i'm keeping track of hit points for critters tick 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 and uh, the monster manual and my screen for my Greyhawk game. But that's a fair amount of crap on my table, plus a keyboard and a mouse, <laughs> right? Oh, and a, and a, co and a coaster because I need a drink. You know? So I, I have a decent desk, but it doesn't take much, man. And you're like, you're like packed up to here with shit. Yeah. Which is surprising because a player w could, you know, not have anything like just a character sheet if that if they just have it online they could have nothing they could play at a laptop and not have an issue yeah and some people when they play you can roll dice you don't use electronic die rollers they're using zoom purely as theater of the mind and you roll dice yourself and that's totally fine in that case you you need space to roll dice it's not that big a deal but anyway, i like the idea of that tool i definitely need you to put that put that down in the die roll if nothing else that could be 
a good app to grab onto. Anything that would help organize organize the desktop because if the desktop, the laptop, whatever that is, is becoming a DM screen for me in one way, shape, or form, that's pretty handy. Mac users, if there's Mac users in the gaming NBS uh, community and you're not using the the app, I'll put it in the die roll. It's like, I can never remember. It's it's like, it's called Snap Tool, I think. Okay. And I mean, it's totally worth, I think, like five bucks or something. Slick. Yeah. So, um, one one of the things that I was thinking of is okay. So you have your monitor mm-hmm. or monitors. I've also used sticky notes to stick around the monitor, which is kind of, eh. I mean, they don't last very long, and that's just for my own personal notes when I'm working at work. I'll put something along the bezel. But if somebody were smooth enough to get a maybe even a print like a printer, three D printer. And could engineer this as an extended bezel. If you had a single and do it for like a single monitor and you can make it adjustable because then it depends on the the bezel of the monitor. Some are a little thicker than others. Yeah. But if you got it to be able to adjust and you make it and you inlay it with some metal, right? Magnets. And then you just do these little ticky tacky magnets. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And you put the stuff around your monitor that has some of that. Now... You could use sticky notes. looks kind of ugly and doesn't really, it doesn't, you can't see it at a glance. So then what you do is you print off or you lay out certain cards that will fit into this or slide into that or tack onto this bezel. And then you can make your GM screen around your monitor. Always thinking, hey, always thinking, hey. There you go. Free idea. Take it, run with it. It's a million dollars. No royalties needed. I don't need any royalties. It's all good. So I like the idea. No, the other. So having the sticky notes, right? That's again, it's your workspace. Make it as messy or whatever it is you have, as long as it's effective for you to run your game. Um, it's kind of like writing in your book. I have that's anathema to Brett because I'm like, ah, I have, a, I have this block on writing in books. I've written in one gaming book and it, I felt horribly, deliciously, you know, naughty doing it. But I just don't do it that often. Regardless, um, the other thing that's interesting about the writing in your book perspective, if you're running online and you see PDF, PDFs can be annotated if you have adventures and so forth. And if you have the real estate to do it, or if you're using a PDF version of the adventure, I have found that PDF versions of books, for whatever reason, tend to be easier for me to reference when I'm running an online game than they are when I'm running in person. That's a block in Brett's head more than anything else, I think. But Calling it up there, hang on, I have that book. There it is. You know, call it up, do the search or whatever. So I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what habits I've developed as Game Master from using this the screen of mine here as my gaming table, as a GM screen, organizing it. Like, here's the videos of my players, here's the map, here's this. How that's going to inform my in-person gaming. Because there are some features I have running online I'm like, man, this is cool. I, I got to figure out a way to transport this to my table. You know, the, the fast reference of PDF and stuff, I'm getting faster and better with it than I, than I have been. I am not a big fan of PDF searching for some reason. And I think it's because, what are you using on your Mac to do it, Brett? What Are, are you using Adobe or are you using the native app? Using the native app works fine. I was running Darkened Room and I would do a search term. And if that search term is in that PDF, like, 
10, 50 times, it is a royal freaking pain in the ass. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, search Agent Donnelly. Click, 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 enter. 10 matches. Nope, 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 nope. Oh, that one. Nope. Next one. Well, to me, so that that comes down to if you're using, um, if, depending on what the PDF reader you're using, you can get bookmarking capabilities, basically putting tabs in the book type of thing. Sure. But anyway, I I, I think that just all of that kind of plays in this online world. My, my monitor is my GM screen for a lot of spaces, but I'm finding that I have a lot of electronic running the game stuff there, but there's still some rulebook reference stuff that I don't want to have to go to the PDF and look up. The chart, right? If I have my DMG for my first edition game, I know where the chart is. Like it's page 74, 75, 76, right around there for the hit matrices and the saving throw charts. Great. I could flip there every time I fucking need it, or I could just lay the damn chart on the table. Yes, I could call it the PDF of that and have that somewhere in the background, but then that's another window. Again, in my, I've got too many windows open on my screen type of thing, freak me out. Um, or I just get lost in them, maybe because I'm getting old. But anyway. here's, the, here's the difference between p- turning pages and searching through a PDF and a book. A book, you can feel you can feel where it is. Oh, yeah, I could go, I know where that is. It's about here. It's about so many inches in. It's next to the picture. Nope, it's this picture by the snake. Yep, right there. A PDF is like, as far as I'm concerned, if I have a 300-page PDF and I'm on page 200, I could, my might as well be on page 1,000. Yeah. Or page two. Like I have, it's like, oh, the timeline's like across the bottom. I'm like, oh, I got this farther, much further to go. But I think you're right, Brett. I think if you bookmark stuff, but I'm telling you, virtual tabletops, despite some of the hangups some people have with them or whether they need all the bells and whistles that they provide or dynamic lighting or any of that crap, if you have the actual module in front of you and you could literally click on a keyed area on the map and it comes up with what it actually, like the just the dialogue mm-hmm. and the text, that's, that's pretty, it, man. That's pretty cool. I, Foundry is, I'm ta- I don't know. I think Roll20 does it to some degree in some of the pre-published stuff. I know you can do it for stuff that you want to put in there. That's work. Mm-hmm. But D&D Beyond, and you could port it into Foundry with a very simple plugin. It is a godsend, man. I'm telling you, I'm running Durst Manor, and it's like, there's the map. Tokens are on it. They're in a room. There's a number. I click on the number, comes up with the screen, and I'm like, That's eh. all right just, there. I just ah. read it. And to boot, not about, to boot, you have stuff in there that's linked. So if it says a monster, the monster has a freaking hyperlink. You click. just click on it. There's the monster stats. Ooh. So again, for for the online piece, that is... Alpha's running the Undermountain, uh, and he bought it in Roll20, and he said it's really awesome. He's got his dynamic lighting, he's got all this cool stuff, and he's able to go, here's the room, here's this, here's this, here's this, boom, 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 here's the monster, really fast. So that's taken away the need for us to do a lot of monster manual flipping. Where's the critter? Where's the thing? Looking it up that way, because it's in yeah. there. Yeah, I specifically to, DMing, I, it's a little unique. But I'm run, when I'm gaming, I still run a little more off the cuff. I have an idea of what it's going to be. How many zombies are there? The zombies are skeletons. I'm going to make it up. Ah, it's zombies tonight. Boom, it's zombies. Fuck, I need to flip. There's the zombies. So I tend to have my monster manual 
for my AD&D game, I tend to. I do have that handy so I can reference those quickly. And my charts, because I, I want those fast. So I'm still using those. One of the things I've I've told, I've started telling my players to take a step on the other side of the screen, so to say here, is on their screens, I'm like, when we're playing Roll20, you realize you can pop your character sheet out. Oh, yeah. You can have it in a separate window. You can scroll around on the map. If you click all the little buttons over on your separate window, it still rolls in the die roller. It still does everything it's supposed to do. And then I've given, they have PDF copies of rules and stuff. I'm like, open up another window. Get your PDFs ready. Look up your spells. You can do all of this ahead of time. Or if we're playing in uh, Alpha's game, it's 5e straight. You go up to the you go up to the search bar and you type in longsword. Tink. That's what it is. Take the item, drag it to your character sheet. You're done. So what I'm doing is I'm encouraging the uh, my players and my fellow players in Alpha's game is to essentially make a player's screen. Out of, you know, in the, the same mode, right? Because we talk about in-person GM screens, how you and I have chatted about this, where it might be fun slash more effective to build our own, making sure it's got all the pieces and parts on it we want when you do Not it in person. Not only that, but you know where they are. Yes. Because you've put them down. Yep. And I've told my players, I said, do a similar thing on your screens when we're playing virtual tabletop. You know where the book is. You know, build yourself a folder that says Brett's Greyhawk Game. Put a few things in there that you need for that game, and it's always there. Now, people are like, oh yeah, oh I know how to find. Ah, don't I, I've got my own system. Don't care, but it's faster. It stops us from, hey, could I borrow your book? At the table, that's one thing. Oh shit, I didn't bring my Morton Canaan's Adventures. Can you pass it over? Yeah, here's the Morton Canaan's book. Hey, do you have this one? Yeah, I'll pass that over to you. You know, hey, wh- wh- where's the you know the, the Street Sammer's Guide to? Here it is. If you have it online, if you have it in your PDF form, I'm like. Build a little folder, put a copy of it there. That's, you know, Sean's Shadowrun game. Click. All my stuff is in there that I need for that game. So from an organization perspective, I found that it's helped me a lot as a game master where all my stuff is like in a folder. I'm running Greyhawk. It's all in this folder. I don't have to be, where is my shit? That that was like my prep. Get all the stuff I needed put in there. So now when I'm opening it up, I like the idea of the snap tool will make my screen more effective. Oh, yeah. But I think that, like, for games that have lists of charts, spell lists, and so forth, in an online environment, quite frankly, as long as the players have, if they don't have the physical book in front of them, as long as they got a PDF, they can leverage the same power of computing that you and I are as game masters, right? They can find stuff faster, look it up, whoever they want to do. A lot of the tools we're talking about are not just, you know, online game screen for game master, but... It's for anybody to get their stuff organized. If that snap tool would help me as a GM, I'd use the same damn thing as a player. Put my character sheet over here, put my PDF for the rule book over here, whatever I need. I like that. Does that make I'm sense? I'm surprised somebody hasn't come out with an actual desktop app that's an actual Game Master screen. Like, that's what it's called. That's the function of it. It's a. It can be as easy as an HTML page. It's a website, and that's all it is. is it's just... A single page and everything you click on is just collapsible. So it doesn't, it's a single page app. You don't have to go to another page and have it reload. It's all just accordion style. And then when you do search, it's only one term on the whole entire thing or whatever. Like, I don't know. That may be tough because terms are thrown into different rulings and spells and shit like that. But I think there is a, and maybe there's one out there. I got to imagine that there is, but it's just, 
again, it's a pen and paper, man. That's the hobby, dude. Pen and paper, dice. Dude, come on, man. Books. This I thing. I still hey. like I still like them. I still like use them. I still like that stuff though. You know? You might as well just throw up your little little phone in front of you yeah. and then just <laughs> stand at a table with all your shit around you and run a game. Like dismiss everything, right? Yeah, you could. I could totally do that. You might as I mean you could and sometimes why not? Yeah, I mean if you want to, you could go absolutely old school just throw stand, you know, like I stand up whenever I run a game. Crank the camera up, stand up, lay my shit out on a big table in front of me as I would at home at any other game in person. They could do the same damn thing. Hello, my name is Brett, like a teacher. Hello, my name is Brett. <laughs> I will you be your dungeon master today? Have <laughs> right, a whiteboard behind right, you. Chalk, yeah, right. right yeah, the have the board. camera like twenty feet from you. You know, yeah, you're like so this yelling big. over to everything. Yeah, <laughs> my microphone's way in the other end of the fucking room. Yeah, oh, you got to get a lavalier, man. Oh, there Let you that go. Sucker lav- right on yeah, the old collar. You'd be good yeah. to go, man. I, mean, I have actually found that. Like I said, I, I'm going to be very curious when I run certain games. My my um, uh, my World of Darkness game I'm running is is unique in so far as I don't sc- screens are just doesn't matter for that game. Just the way I'm running it. But when I'm running a D and D game or something else where I usually have a screen as a reference, I think I'm going to be more prone to utilize it than I would before. Because pre- previously I'd have a screen laid out. It was just like just this stupid fucking prop that just sat there. I would still be flipping through my book looking for shit. I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's on the screen, you dumb shit. It was my initiative card holder. Yeah. So I think what's going <laughs> to, I think what's going to happen is I'm probably going to end up saying this is my GM screen at home for running online. It looks like this. All this cool f- features and functions. How do I take those things and then transport it into you know, an in-person gaming experience. And I think this may lead to me using my laptop as a GM screen more than I ever have in the past. Previously, ages back, Sean, you and I talked about technology at the table. And the idea of my laptop being at the table in front of me, between me as a screen, you know, and the players and stuff, it felt so stupid, like it was this bad like this bad thing. I think it was just a, a this anachronistic view I had. But now, after doing this more online, I think there's greater potential for that, just from the organization standpoint, Getting, keeping my shit together. Quick referencing and all that stuff. Another one that I've seen is the uh, like the CD-ROM case format. Mm. If people have taken like CD-ROM cases and, and taped them together, and then they, they un- you know, can unfold them. So the, the profile is pretty small. Pretty narrow, yeah. Yeah. And then, because most, like right now, if I did that, I could have probably a, uh, probably a 48-inch long DM screen <laughs> that sits below my monitors. True. And I could, as long as I could read them, because it gets pretty small print. Yeah. So as we get older and our eyes get worse, and I Game Master standing up, Small print GM screens not super helpful for me. <laughs> hey, get bifocals, yeah. man. I oh, I have reading glasses, but there's still a certain point where oh, yeah, where is this? You know. But anyway, I think it, it's going to be very interesting. The this is the most organized when I'm running online is the most organized I've ever been. Like shit, oh, really? shit on the table. Yeah. <clears throat> huh. Not having to flip through books or say, give me a second, find, 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 find. You know, which probably has led to a lot of my 
I hate slowing down the game, as I've said many times. And it's probably led to a lot of my development as a game master for improv and doing different things because I don't want to look up looking up an obscure rule or something that we didn't use very often, flip, 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 is annoying. Where the fuck are the drowning rules? If I don't remember where it is or no one can remember it, it takes you out. If you're like, hang on, there, it's on page six, right there, flash, drowning rules. Well, shit. That's changing how some of these rules are being implemented because I'll, I've listened. Randy Farmer brought this up to us a number of different times. And as I'm using my online gaming screen, you know, as my GM screen, he's like, look, Brett, it's in the rules. God damn it, Brett, have you read the rules? You know, he's being very polite because Randy's polite than that. He's not telling me I'm an idiot, even though I feel like I'm a moron after listening to, oh, shit, you're right, it's in there. I'm like, you know what? I'll bet you, I, I hear Randy's voice in my head saying, I bet there's a rule for that. Look it up. Ticky, ticky, tick, tick, there it is. It's super fast. It's wicked fast. And I'm like, wow, huh, this is pretty helpful. I should probably stop being a grognard and bring my goddamn laptop to the game more often and reference rules that way because it's faster. Yes, I like to have the books open for certain things, but holy shit, is that quick, you know? So as I said, I think this is going to, it's going to change my game by we talk about GM styles and stuff. I think it's going to change how I'm utilizing certain rules more than anything else. So... Sean went to, so let's step away from the online component for a second. Do you normally use a GM screen in person when you run? Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. out of habit or do you actually use them? There's uh there's, well, like, again, it, it keeps my initiative tracker TP tent things along the top organized. I mean, I've even seen camera do that, but he's put them on the table and that's great if you got a clear table and people could see them. Yeah. But I like put them up on a screen and they're like right there. Now, the only tricky thing is, it's funny how I have those in order, but nobody still doesn't realize who's after who. Yeah. Until you skip them. Oh, yeah. Oh, they they pay attention. I'm like, here's the initiative order right here. Like, right here in, like, Sharpie (laughs) marker. Yeah. You know, hey, you're up next. Um, Not going to change for this combat. Just, you know, letting you know. But so that and it, it does have some good information and it's usually comes in handy when people have a question like oh i'm prone uh you know i'm gonna do this this and that and i'm like uh i don't think you could do that and then you just prone Blah. advantage on you know look look you cannot sword do attacks that. yeah melee but not you know disadvantage on missile checks so it does come in handy for certain things and i also am a big i you know, Tomb of I got the Tomb of Annihilation DM screen. I've got the DM screen revised. I've got I don't have the Curse of Strad one, and some of those come in handy for the specific campaign because it's got the random monster charts that for match. the different environments. Yep. Yeah, and it's got probably something else in there like, uh, well, even Call of Cthulhu, like Massive Nautilusotep Man. I have the DM, I have the GM screen from that campaign, and it has a chunk of NPCs. So it has the NPC name, and then just like a one sentence thing of who they are, which is super helpful in a massive game where you need to remember that stuff. There's a few few NPCs you got to keep track of, and you're like, oh shit, who do they want to talk to? What's that guy? The other thing that online gaming has taught me for my in-person gaming is I am 
no longer going to say, well, I bought the GM screen and it kind of sucks. I'll just use it. But, uh, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm going to build my own. Oh, really? The next, the, the next time, you know, one way, shape or form, I'm either going to take my D&D one when I'm running 5e next time and start sticky noting over it or taping on it or something. But there's shit I want to know, right? My character, they're like, what's the range on that weapon? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get the goddamn weapons. I need that. What's the penalty at after range? Uh, you know, it, it it's some of the tactical stuff like that that I get asked. I'm like, fuck, I don't know, and that's a pain in the ass to look up. I'm like, if I slapped it on there, I've been gaming with the system long enough now. I know the questions my crew is asking. I can prepare myself. Sorry. You. Have you seen you seen the Savage Worlds one that they they sell right? I think there's a couple third parties that sell them too. They're the they're the ones that fold out that you can put inserts into. Oh yeah, I think that's great. Cool. Yeah, you could probably even buy DM screens from RP Drive Through and just insert those. Now here's something: you get that three or four panel screen. Have use that as a player. Wouldn't that be cool? Do a custom. GM screen as a player, you don't have to roll it out in front of yourself, right? Yeah. But imagine, like, I mean, people put it in a binder or whatever, and they flip the pages. Um, But imagine paint, like, those are bit, you could put a lot of info in there, and you could put all the spells you pick and, like, all the descriptions. You don't have to look them up. They're, like, right there. Not the name and kind of the save. Yeah. All the data you need plugged in right there well the other cool things in in person that uh, randy farmer does this he does a great job speaking of him if you've seen his pictures his gm screens are like part of the scenery because he runs this wonderful minis intensive immersive everything in front of you is the world it's really wicked cool and there's a number of people that do that and he does this cool thing where the front of this gm screen that you see is like the backdrop of the city or part of the landscape which takes a lot of extra work, right? He's probably got it down to science, but it's really cool. It's got a great effect. So the other thing that um, I think is interesting too is that the front side, the old school um, AD&D ones actually had some charts on the other side for players to reference. And a lot of times they were kind of okay-ish. But I'm thinking it, like, if I get a screen that has drop-in stuff, I'll get my two-hit charts, my saving charts, I'll put them on the front as well as on the inside. So I can drop that down and the players can say, well, what do I need? Whoever's close enough can read it. Or I like the idea, even if you turn it from a GM screen into like a player binder almost, where you have it laying flat, you just flip it open to the necessary pages because it has all those cool reference charts to it. Basically, it's a reference manual at that point. For, the, your, character, uh, DC, for your character. The, the DCC book, I, don't, I can't reach oh, it from Oh, yeah. But there is literally a freaking zine size compendium that somebody did that just lays out the critical charts, the fumbles, all the spells. In one place. Yeah, all in one place, and that's it. And so it is it is like zero nothing to it. And you everything in there to play the and run the game. Specifically run. Um which is funny because I think if you boil down even five E you could probably get something that's very close to that. Is it Jeremy Durham that did that, Hobbs? It's it's really super awesome. Um, if you play DCC, it is a must-have, buy, print, whatever. Because uh, even at the table, people... Yeah, so Jeremy Durham, props to him for putting that out. 
It's it. People put them out on the table so you can just pick them up and go, oh, yeah, here, look it up. Boop, there it is. Boiling down the five, I was going to say, boiling down the 5e game, it's probably not wholly dissimilar if you take out what exactly you need and put it in, I don't know, three-ring binder or whatever. Yep. Because just something is, um, I got a hold of some condition cards. Somebody made at, at Evercon last year, I bought a pack of condition cards. Because AJ was looking for something kind of cool. I said, here, use these next time you play with your friends. Oh, wow. It has the condition on it and what it does to you on the backside. Like you're concussed or you're unconscious or whatever it is. And then the, you flip it over. And, oh, this is what the effect of you is. That's just kind of kind of cool stuff. But I think you can turn into a reference thing. And again, I think I really believe this online gaming that I've been doing, I've, I'm getting better at referencing rules, finding them faster. And I think the laptop or the, the tablet is going to be a, a pretty quick on the laptop for searching things compared to my tablet. I don't know if it's just because I'm the uh, older, you know, hands-on keyboard typey guy. But man, if I can find stuff, reference stuff faster that way, that's going to change my game. But I still think that having an in-person screen is going to be very helpful. And But I'm going to make my own, I think, Next time I play in person and I want a screen is go- because I want to make sure it's got all the stuff I need. Even if it's even if I'm modifying an existing one or buying one of the, with the drop ins, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, the um, Jerry Roll Twenty's got the compendium. I think that's a that every I think every time I've Googled a rule for Five E Roll Twenty's in the first or second. Yep, their compendium is handy. Yeah, their compendium is really super handy. And I think you're, you know, and I think with the speed of looking up those rules, I'm more likely to stop and look up the rule. Yes. Like, oh, it doesn't have to slow down things to a crawl. I could just look it up and make sure it kind of makes sense. And so that we can get back on the same page because I think we've drifted over the last few years. Five foot step. Eh. That's how I reminded my guys that a fireball is not 30 feet. Yeah, it is. See this? Oh, fuck. 20 feet. Oh, sorry about the last three times I nuked you. Yes, please don't do that again. <laughs> you know, but it, it's game changer is cliche, but it's been a game changer for me. You know, look things up quickly, and I think it's going to change the way I, I it. The use of the GM screen at the table in person now is going, I think, for me, I'm looking forward to be an improved, improved screen experience. I'm not trying to hide my dice. I don't care about that, especially now that we're rolling um, in the in the online gaming. Everything's in fr- everything's in person. We're not hiding dice rolls from anybody because we're all using roll twenty in my groups. Now some people roll dice privately or whatever, but we're still effectively rolling a lot of stuff in the open. And if you're using online uh, virtual tabletop, a lot of that happens, and that's kind of changing for my group and my personal play style. Rolling in the open isn't terrifying me. It used to scare the shit out of me, and I don't know why. It just how we did it you know you always roll behind the screen so i think it's going to change a number of different things and i think it's going to make the screen more user-friendly the dice i can roll in front of the screen if i want to keep doing the whole in front of every god and everybody thing totally fine but the uh the referencing is going to get better instead of it just being a, a prop that i've always carried with me it'll actually be something i use yeah I think the only thing that comes into a drawback is when you have to interpret things. Like when I was talking to people on Discord about uh, master dis- master disguise. Oh yeah, yeah, the, uh, the shape changey disguise yeah, master. Yeah, 
yeah, it's it's this guy's self at will, and it's like, yeah, I would allow it. I'm not I'm not I'm not disallowing or allowing it. I'm asking how you interpret the rule. Like, is do they get to like change themselves, and that's kind of willy nilly? Is a lizard folk, you know, is their table tail disappear? You know, it's not. So those things, I would have to like make a. You can make your judge. You can make a judgment call yeah. on that, but you could find the rule faster. Yes. And that is super handy for that person in your gaming group, and we all have one, usually, who have experienced this, who stops reading just before it gets important. <laughs> oh, it says it, does, it says it does 88 damage. No save. Oh, hold on. Did you read the other three paragraphs? Oh, it says they get a save if they're left-handed on a Monday. Well, they're left-handed and it's Monday, so they get a save. You know, whatever. I know so, that rule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See? That happens a lot and uh, sometimes, so it's it's helpful. And to be able to quickly find it, I honestly don't believe I don't believe people generally try to cheat, you know, no. on, on purpose. Sometimes like, well, that's what I read. It is. That's what you remember. But, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to slow the game down because in half a second, I'm going to type in the spell name. It's going to give it to me. I'm going to have the data. We'll just read it. But up, oh, oh, doesn't work that way. But it does work this other way. Oh fuck, that's cool. I'll do it that way then. So, anyway, I think the uh, again, kind of in closing for me, I found the age of this online gaming I'm doing is it's changing my style when it comes to referencing and being organized. I think it's kind of cool. I like it. Yet, so Sean, before we wrap that part of it, do you have any impact from it to you? Or does it change your style? Do you think, or the, your your use of the rules apart? I mean, the speed of looking it up. But do you? I, I, for me, it's palpable, palpably different to me. Yeah, I mean, in referencing an actual physical game master charts, probably not in the cards, unless it's a game that doesn't, that's not documented well online and searchable online quickly. Otherwise, five e. I mean, it's put in, put in whatever five e, and it's roll twenty is going to come up and it's going to hit you right on the bookmark, right on that spell and or rule. Um, D and D Beyond isn't bad if you bought the books through it. That's true, but I don't know. I don't. I suppose I I haven't done it enough on there. Like I've done searches for here and there, and it'll come up with a long listing. Um, so I don't know how it's contextual. Is, yeah, I, is, I'm not sure either. I, like I yeah. say not bad insofar as I've not played with it as a as a usability tool. I know other people who do, and they love it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fine. Cool, man. So I guess we've been at this one long enough. So Tom and Chris, if we totally missed the point here, let us know. But I thought in in this this age of online gaming, right? It's not like this is going away. It's kind of it's a cool thing that people are doing where everybody's doing it more often or a lot of people are doing it, not necessarily everybody. But I'm kind of curious as to what it has done for other folks. Do you think it's changing your style? Do you think you don't use GM screens because of it? Do you think laptops will make their way to your in-person game where maybe they didn't before? Um, do you see anything there? Or or are, are you also doing a bit, bit of an anachronistic mix like I am? For my old school first edition game, I have a GM screen. And honest to God, old school in-person one, you know, first edition, first print laying down here on the table so that I can uh, reference it as I go through the game. So just kind of curious how people are using them now. So cool, man. We good? We're good, man. Let's go to die roll. Let's get into die roll. 
2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery you want to bring to you. Brett, first one. Yeah, so Todd Crapper has this patron. On Halloween, he launched a patron for Ironbound, Guardians Novala. It's a dark fantasy RPG of witches uh, versus machines using the PIP system. I happen to have an affinity to the PIP system because I'm going to be turning Avalon into it. It's, uh, he says, it's my first ever writing partnership with someone on a game I got lucky to work with, uh, Danielle Delisi. Um, ho- I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, Danielle. Um, in exchange for some advanced previews, audio discussions, bonus scenarios, and more, we're looking to create some original artwork for the setting. Got a link to his uh, Patreon out there. Looks pretty cool. Mr. Todd Crapper, the warden, does good work. He's a great guy, friend of the show. Um, and just all around good dude. So check that out. I think this sounds interesting. And if nothing else, it could be another way for people to look at the PIP system and uh, how freaking cool that thing is. So it could be Danielle Delisle. Delisle, that could be it too. Could so, be. oh my could be god, Franchet. Yes. So, Todd, if I totally <laughs> wreck that, your partner's name there, please. We have bets on me. Danielle's last name. <laughs> yeah. eh. Uh, D&D TV show in the works. Well, I heard about this one. I was like, huh, I wonder. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. There's good shows that have been out there that don't make it past like season one. Maybe at a pilot. I don't know. I don't know either. We'll see. (sighs) Anyway. Uh, second one, Questin browser map game cartography game thanks vc for putting that out there it's a friend of vc's uh check it out it's a it's a browser you can play in the browser and the last one 1d20 heart-wrenching answers to i loot the body what's in their pockets (laughs) thanks larry for posting that i like the the heart-wrenching answers oh picture family a tattered love letter dated years ago Hand-drawn picture signed by a child. <laughs> I love you, Daddy. Oh, you murder hobo bastard. Look what you've done. That poor town guard. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good one. That's awesome. Uh, what are we talking about next week, Brat? Next week, um, kind of in the same vein here, I want to talk about music and sound effects at the table. We've talked about music and such before, but... Um, with online gaming, some of the cool stuff that's happening with virtual tabletops is some of the ambiance we can add in pretty easily, like built in. So I want to talk about that again, bring it back up. Sean, you got a finger raised. What are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Foundry. Yes. You can put an audio file on a spot on the map. Oh wow! Very cool. I know uh, Roll Twenty has audio stuff. I didn't. I don't. I've not played with it much. Oh no! But. Yeah. So Roll Twenty. Yeah, you hit the play button. It or plays. You, make so you a got like dungeon and noise plays, in the background. Plays to everybody. You can walk into a room and they claim. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Not only that, Brett. You could set the radius. Oh, <laughs> so some people hear it and some people won't. Yes. Oh my! You literally can put a sound of a fireplace where the fireplace is. And you back away far enough from it, you can't hear it. Extend it out 10, 20 feet. Anybody that walks, their token goes into that radius. They hear the crackle of the fireplace. Wow, dude. Yeah, man. All right, so I got to play with Foundry. <laughs> That's what this is telling me. I got to play dude, with Foundry. I'm telling you. And I will, I can, so, I can hook you up. I, I know you can. So let's talk about that at next show, dude. Let's dig into that stuff. Cool. All right. All right. I like it. All right. All right. Very cool. 
Hey, I just want to thank everybody for joining us live. Thank you, everybody. Yes, thank, thank you. you very much. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we record here every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time U.S., uh, Brett and I, to talk about our favorite passion of role-playing games. Uh, you, if you see us on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe if you'd be so kind. Otherwise, you can find the audio version on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you so much. Otherwise, I am Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all.